The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Debbie Wildrick, Chief Strategy Officer of MetaBrand LLC and found, founder Growing Innovative Brands. But before we dig into Meta Brands and learn what innovative things they're doing, we want to learn more about our guest as a person, their background, what makes them tick. Let me tell you a little bit more about Debbie. Debbie's a channel and distribution expert with a background in executive level business management, sales, and marketing. She has an extensive background in the consumer packaged goods industry with over 30 years of experience. Her early career included various sales and management positions, including Tropicana Juices, Division of PepsiCo, and Sundance Juice Sparklers, Division of Stroh's. Debbie transitioned to the retail side of the industry where, at 7-Eleven, where she became senior director for Vault and Proprietary Beverages, responsible for $3.3 billion, or 40% of all merchandise sales for over 500, 5,500, I should say, stores. In addition, during her tenure, she was the director for snacks and grocery products. Debbie followed her passion for the industry and became the general manager for retail sales for the FRS company. She has since spent a number of years both consulting and in key management positions with startup brands. She most recently was the CEO of Bazi, Inc., a public nutritional shot company. Overall, her diverse background includes a combination of retailer and packaged goods experience, something very unique to most people in the industry. She has experience with all channels of trade and specializes in mainstream retail and business strategy and execution. Skilled in all areas of business operations, planning, and management with particular skills in consultative sales, marketing, personnel management, contract negotiations, category management, and relationship management. Woo! Debbie Wildrick, welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Thank you. That's quite Hello. an intro. I exactly. <laughs> you know, you've it was a trip down memory lane, and I, I just think that's really cool that you know you've got such a diverse background. You touch so many different facets, which our guests and I'm sorry, which our listeners will hear about today. But let's go down that memory lane, if you will. Let's start with Sundance Juice Sparklers, a division of Stroh Brewery Company. Um, tell us a little bit more about that company and what you produced and sold there. That company is absolutely one of the most. Um, fantastic um, companies of my career, and, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I actually started out my sales career 
and I grew up uh, working for a major food broker in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, started calling on Kroger stores. And as I grew within the food broker, um, I was promoted a couple of times and I became brand manager and I was representing Sundance Juice Sparklers. And I was a little youngster in my career, feeling like I was a little behind and um, my my soon-to-be boss um, uh, really uh, took me under her wings and um, and hired me to be a broker region, regional manager for Sundance Juice Sparklers. And it, it moved my career in ways that were shocking uh, with one uh, move, uh, both from an income perspective as well as I was jumping into something that I really was not necessarily qualified yet to do. Um, but she believed in me and I jumped in and I, um, I learned, um, I learned the business. I taught the business, uh, you know, I taught myself really. Um, and, and we were building a brand that was the first, we called ourselves the, the, the first new age beverage. And we were 70% juice, 30% sparkling water. Nice. We were in a 10 ounce and a, and a 28 ounce, if I remember right, a little four packs that kind of looked like wine coolers. Yep. And we were selling in through the broker network, even though we own, we were owned by the Stroh Brewery Company, which is a strong DSD network. We were selling um, direct to the customer uh, through their distribution centers using brokers all over the country. So we hired brokers all over. And we, um, at that time, on the shelf was Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, 7-Up, and New York Seltzer, and Perrier in a green bottle. As right, we know, right. bottled water today, yep. it didn't even exist. And that was in the uh, that was 1989, and we grew that brand within two years to a hundred million dollar brand. Spread ourselves all over the country, um, mostly a, a strong presence in grocery, but we eventually moved into convenience, especially in the Texas and, and the Southwest marketplace where I was responsible for, and um, and then we did a big launch with Walmart and Sam's, and. Um, yeah, just within two years, we built it to a $100 million brand, and it was um, it was a wonderful thing. I want to stay with that for a second, because I know a lot of our listeners, myself included, really um, uh, resonate with the mentorship. It sounds like you had a lady that really took you under her wing, and, and like you said, saw something in you that, that kind of, even when you didn't necessarily see it in yourself, if you will, because... A young lady negotiating with Walmart and Sam's Club, um, let's face it, Debbie, that doesn't happen that often. And for you to be able to kind of have that support behind you that says, you can do it, girl, go do it, um, that's pretty special. That's right. And, and, you know, we actually had, so I was in Dallas, Texas, and um, and she, you know, I when I was with the food broker, I, I had actually left college after two years. Um, and when I went to work for the food broker, I, I was obviously in sales for the first year or so. And I looked around the building at all the executives. Right. And I said, they have three things. They have, one is, they have a college degree. So I went back to school during that time um, and got my degree at night. And um, secondly, they've all worked for manufacturers. So, you know, the president of the company was X Green Giant. There was Colgate. There was Procter & Gamble. 
um, you know, all the big players. And I was at that time really kicking myself because I didn't finish college and go to work for Procter & Gamble where I, you know, got amazing training, right? And right. and even my mentor that we're talking about, she um, she started with Procter & Gamble and then she went on to work for Gatorade before coming over to Sundance. And, wow. and she was a little pistol. I mean, just absolutely a little <laughs> pistol. But I, I told her one night at a Moody Blues concert that, you know, my goals were to get onto the manufacturer side. And sure enough, um, about two months later, she lost her region manager. And so she sent me up to, she went to the, the vice president of our company and asked, you know, if she could hire me. And, and of course, he was all for it because he was one of my mentors as well. And, um, and she said, okay, now you've got to go up to Detroit to interview at our headquarters. And so I went to Detroit and, you know, of course, I'm just doing all kinds of stuff, you know, to prepare for this. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's a big all moment. All my affirmations. Yeah. Right. I mean, big moment. Right. And she tried to give me some good coaching, but, um, you know, even from an interview process, I mean, they were just hammering me, you know, one right after another. Because uh, you were young, the, because they thought you were inexperienced. What, what do you think that was? I think it was just the level of sophistication that I wasn't quite as familiar with. Um, you know, things like, um, you know, what kind of sports were you interested in? And, and the, the one guy who later ends up being my boss with another company, uh, he was, you know, he he was, he was just a guy's guy, you know, right, and so everything right, right. was about co- competitive. And so he was challenging me with all kinds of competitive, you know, questions. And, and I even had to, uh, uh, I had to um, interview with, um, with Peter Stroh, um, really? who was the president. Yeah, I had to go in there and interview with him. And, and so um, I came back from the interview and my boss-to-be said to me, she said, well, um, you, uh, they, they really don't think that you quite have enough experience yet to do the job, but they told me that if I believe in you, I can hire you. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and I will tell you, I increased my income by 40%. I, um, I, plus bonus, um, I, just overnight, I, I graduated that year. Um, uh, you know, I told her that I was not going to be able to, um, that I that I needed to to finish my degree, which was only right. one se- semester away. And she told me, she says, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And so I went to the the university and I talked to all three of my professors and worked out a plan. And sure enough, I graduated in May. And um, um, you know, I saw her on an airplane about three years ago, and I t- I, re- I reminded her that she changed my life because she believed in me. Well, and, and, and I think that's really cool, and I'm just going to kind of jump in here. Knowing you like I do, the one thing I, that really stuck out for me, Debbie, was I think she said something to you a second ago. She said, I don't think you can do that. And telling you that mm-hmm. you don't think you can do something, I think, is kind of like that fuel because you were like, I'm going to go figure this out. And you went and did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and good for mm-hmm. you because a lot of people would have said, well, you know what, but but that's so cool. I mean, it, and again, it's just a very, very cool uh, piece of the uh, of who you are in that foundation, if you will. Yeah, well, thank you. And, um, you know, it's it's all a, it, along the way as you have different career experiences. And, and right away, I 
I went into this position, we already had all of our brokers hired in the 12-state area that I was responsible for, but there were a couple of brokers, quite frankly, that I had to go in and make change. And so right away, I was doing things like firing brokers, like hiring new brokers, like training teams. And the one thing that I knew about her was that she was very controlling. You know, she just, she had actually ran all over her her male um, regional manager that was in that position before that. And, um, and she had, you know, she had the relationships with the brokers. And so she taught me some things that she didn't know that she was teaching me, which right. was how to go in and build relationships with the brokers and command, um, um, command, um, um, respect yeah, absolutely. that I was really their, their leader and that she was my boss. And, um, and so there was a lot of things that I did. First of all, you know, it was about building the relationships directly with the brokers. And certainly those that I hired, um, it was a little bit easier. But, you know, early on, she would always go in to all the meetings with me. And I, I led the meetings. I kicked off the meetings. I sat at right. the head of the table. And sure enough, you know, a quarter of the way through the meeting, she was usually derailing it. Um, and taking control, (laughs) but um, (laughs) it worked really well because of my position at the table as well as my leadership in in running the meeting, the the, the derailment was controlled. And And she... is she yeah. still around now? It sounds like you said you, you saw her a few years ago, but is she still with us or uh, around um, in the industry yeah. or retired? Yeah. No, she works for B&G Foods, uh, which is a snack company, a pretty large snack company yeah. now. They've yeah. acquired quite a few brands out of uh, New Jersey. She's still in Dallas. Um, but, yeah, she's, um, she's VP of national accounts for them. Very cool. And, and the fact that you were able to kind of really – um, you know, stand tall in the midst of this learn a ton, um, which really kind of led you over because then you moved over to Tropicana. Um, and, you, and as a young lady, again, you managed four million dollar annual budget. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. Tell us about the PepsiCo Tropicana experience. Well, yeah, that's um, that's very interesting because the other thing about all, nearly all of my experiences is is they've been business building experiences. So I went to work for Tropicana. Um, the, the, the job came available. Uh, Tropicana um, was actually being represented by the same broker that was representing Nemo's Bakery, which, by the way, the, the guy that was so hard on me at Stroh went to work for <laughs> Nemo's, and, went, <laughs> and I went to work for him. Oh, um, man. But anyway, I, I, I kind of got into the convenience store industry, and, and my broker was the, the Tropicana broker, and, and it was the broker that I had originally worked for. And so we were all really good friends, and when the job came open right away, you know, I'm the right person for it. And I was on the team that began to build our convenience store business, and we built we, – we actually swept the country within the first – three to four years, uh, even with the challenge uh, about year one, Minute Maid, I mean, Coca-Cola had actually put uh, bought Minute Maid and put 16-ounce orange juice on 10,000 trucks across the country. Wow. Um, but we were, what we were doing is we were building our business and 
and actually at the expense of Very Fine, which had been the the only real orange juice in convenience up until that point. And so we built we built the uh, convenience store business, and and I was on the team that did that. And then I went on to um, to work with national accounts, and um, I had the biggest and the best in the industry. Um, Seven uh, Eleven, McLean, sure. yeah. um, Exxon Mobil, Circle K, and um, it, so it it was, um, and and it was very interesting by that time too because we we really got into a lot of category management and working with the retailer to understand how they build, they continue to build their business year over year, even though juice in general, was starting to see... Sag, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, it's interesting because we've got a couple more minutes before we take a break. So I want to just kind of tie this, I don't want to say tie it all together because I want to finish your foundation, your background. But you took that time at Tropicana and then, which you were dealing with, by the way, the 7-Elevens and some of these other um, 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 convenience stores, you also now took your talents, as they say, to 7-Eleven. Tell us a little bit more about that, and then we'll kind of go for a quick break. Well, 7-Eleven, <laughs> it was really interesting because 7-Eleven, um, I, I, ironically, I never intended to even go to work for a retailer. And as a matter of fact, even through the application process, if you will, or the interview process, I kept thinking to myself, well, I'm not really sure I want to work for a retailer, but if there was any retailer that that I would love to work for, it was 7-Eleven. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, 7-Eleven, even though you you don't necessarily effectively see it at the store level, um, we were amazing category managers and leaders in... um, in merchandising and strategies um, as it related to building our businesses and and certainly as it related to the consumer. And so I, um, I ended up sending my resume to a person who got it to the CEO. And of course I, I said, well, the CEO is going to know me because I've, you know, I've been, I've presented to him. At, with Tropicana. Um, yeah. With Tropicana. Yeah. And sure enough, the, perfect position is open, which is non-carbonated category manager. Wow. And I was just reviewing this for another meeting that I have this afternoon, uh, or interview actually this afternoon, because what's changed about the beverage business since those days? And, you know, what was so fun about those days is that I have the privilege an honor of being around when all the beverages that we know today that have become famous that were built in during those years in the 2000s were a part of my 7-Eleven days. And so we're talking about vitamin water and, yeah. and, and Sobe and, 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 um, um, Oh, Lance, Lance's brand. I well, can't remember the yeah, name. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's a great, because I want to come back to that, because I really want to dig into that, because that was really your baby, these vault and proprietary, proprietary beverages. If that's okay, if mm-hmm. we kind of jump in here real quick, take a quick break. Yeah. Um, folks, we're talking with our friend Debbie Wildrick, and stay tuned. We will be right back. Mm-hmm. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking with our friend Debbie Wildrick, Chief Strategy Officer of Meta Brands. But before we got went to break, Debbie, we were just kind of really digging into your time with 7-Eleven. And you had said something interesting, which I wanted to make sure we gave it a lot of or gave it enough time for our listeners to really appreciate. You were really a part at the infancy of this water craze, vitamin water, Sobe. I think there's, what do you call it? I can't remember. Basai. I think that's a new one. They're all, now there's a gazillion. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about Mm -hmm. that because you really were right at the ground floor of that um and there were some there were some brands that really cashed out big time uh with that whole water world well yeah and and and, you know vitamin water it's interesting because i turned vitamin water down the first time um and i actually by the time that that we that we authorized vitamin water um it it was actually the responsibility um of one of the category managers that that worked for me and so we both benefited um, from the the mega business that we ended up doing. But um, you you make decisions, you know, you, the way that you make decisions. They were certainly doing really well up in the Northeast, and I could see their their data. And we're we're so we're so data rich at Seven Eleven. Right. Um, right. And you know, I was very happy with their velocity. But quite frankly, this this 
phenomena of flavored water or enhanced water really was only about 10% of the total water segment. You know, your, your real business, which was growing by leaps and bounds, was your, your still water. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't sure at the time that they were really ready to go national. And um, so I, I didn't take them on. And, and I, I tell all these stories because <laughs> there's people that still come up to me and say, you did this for me or you did that. The, the real interesting, if, if you uh, want to go there, the, the, my first big um, initiative was really building energy drinks. And, um, and when I started with 7-Eleven, we, we had a shelf of Red Bull, one, one SKU, eight ounce, and a couple right. of Hanson's Natural and Amp. And um, within the first year, uh, we were, you know, we were already expanding into um, Rockstar, which was the first 16-ounce. Sure. Uh, but one of the things that I did as a retailer is I, when I, so Rockstar's early success was to sell 16 ounces of energy drink for uh, the same price as you're selling the 8-ounce Red Bull, which was $1.99. Uh. Uh-huh. So when I um, when I brought it on board, I I actually launched Rockstar nationally and um, based on the success of our Southern California division, and I put it out there at two forty nine price point. And you know the founder of Rockstar, he he um, he was going crazy, and I I said, well, I refuse to sell the same amount, you know, double the amount of energy for the same price, you know, um, sure. as the eight right. ounce and. Um, and so it was it was phenomenal what that did for us from a profitability perspective it um it really changed the way that we built that category and other retailers began to follow me and so um it it, it was a it was a huge story by the end of 2 years you know we were in a full door of energy drinks wow that's how fast that business grew and then, um, and then uh, one of the first waters that I did put um, bring in uh, before vitamin water was actually Fiji. And, you know, you probably don't think really? about Fiji oh, is, yeah, is right. starting. But, you know, and, and the decisions that I would make, you know, and I tell this as I'm, as I'm guiding clients today, because one of the biggest things that I like to write about and talk about is disruption in your category and, and product differentiation. And every time I looked at something, you know, I had to understand what was going to, what was going to be its differentiation because I needed to incrementally grow these categories. And, exactly. Um, Fiji, you know what it was? It was the shape of the bottle. Yeah, the square and, bottle or whatever you call that yeah. thing. Right. Um, you know, and you say, really, you know, you make a decision on on. The shape of the bottle, well, Fiji really didn't have anything else besides the story. Um, but, but that's, you know, I knew those kinds of things would work. Um, and, and still today, package innovation, which that's, that's what you talk all about, yep. Yep. Um, is, is, what, is part of what's going to take you this, this step further as it relates, you know, to the consumer. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Um, Fuse, uh, Fuse, which is the brand I was trying to think of yeah, earlier. Yeah, right, right. Um, actually, Fuse came in about the time that Sobe was starting to decline. Um, 
And and so there's a gentleman who's very famous in the industry. The founder of Sobe is John Bellow, yep. and he would uh, he would call up our CEO and and um, and get a meeting with him. And our CEO would call me up to the um, to the to the corporate boardroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd have to I'd have to tell John Bellow why he was continuing to use lose um, shelf space, and I actually. I, when I saw Fuse, uh, and Lance Collins is the founder of Fuse, um, I I said, you know what, this is this is this is going to help, you know, replace those those declining sales in Sobe, and right. and sure enough, you know, that's one of the reasons why I made that decision. Now, Fuse never grew as large as Sobe grew, but um, if you see John Bellow these days, he'll he'll when he when he sees me walking around the show, he doesn't do it much anymore because he's totally retired. But but he'll say, "Yeah, this is Debbie Wildrick. She ran Seven <laughs> Eleven." Well, I was going to kind of segue into that because I think it's a great sidebar at this point. Do you think was there? If you look back in those days at Seven Eleven, was there ever that um, that point? Was it around that time that you started to think, "Well, maybe I could do this myself. Maybe I could." start my own firm, or was that later on in your kind of foundation, if you will? Because I, I, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. how these, these patterns kind of get, how, to, how to connect together. You know, it's in, it, you know, I was running such a big business by the right. time that I was running all of Vault and all of Proprietary, and I, there was a lot of things about it that I, I was really having the time of my life at a, at a, at a point where my career was was really on fire. At the same time, Seven Eleven was really, really tough to work for because we right. had a lot of pressure um, to to be successful. And our proprietary beverages, quite frankly, were not growing at the time. And so it was it was tough from that perspective. But um, the brand that I left Seven Eleven for, interestingly enough, was a brand that I had first found when I created my own energy drink. At in my early years at Seven Eleven, I created an energy drink called Mad Croc, and the guy that helped me create it was the founder of what was then just a um, a chemist who had um, who had built this energy drink with um, quercetin, which is a, a yeah. highly concentrated antioxidant. And yep, exactly, um, he invited me up to Boston to meet the chemist and. I told them right then and there, I said, by God, you've got it. You've done it. You've got wow. a functional beverage, you know? Right. And so they kept on sending, you know, he he hired somebody. They named it FRS. They, um, uh, they you know, kept on sending me different varieties of samples. And so when the, when the, um, when the CEO came in to present to our category manager, I told the category manager, I want to be in that meeting. And I found myself selling it for them. Wow! And so I um, I called him about two weeks later. And part of part of what who Debbie Wildrake is is Debbie is always chasing the gold at the end of the rainbow. And so not only was <laughs> I in you know I was in love with this product, but I also saw this as a great opportunity for me to um, to be a part of you know, a, a startup and, sure. um, and you, you know, that by the way, 
you know, the, the, the challenges start then because the startup world is, is very, very challenging. And, sure. um, and, you know, I, I still love the brand FRS, but we, you know, pretty much out of the gate continued to suffer with consumer pool issues. And, um, and, you know, so we never ended up really being successful at retail, but, but they hired me to run, you know, as their general manager over all of retail sales. And, um, uh, we, we started out that spring with $25 million in investment and, mm. um, we started building the brand. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, that's my story as to why I left, but, but during my time with FRS and then, you know, moving into these issues with sales and, and knowing that I needed to, to figure out what I wanted to continue to do, I had, um, I had some thoughts that I was meant to really help. I, I was meant to make a difference for brands, and um, that that would be that that would be what I wanted my lifelong career to continue as. And so, you know, yes, I did work for another, um, you know, Equal Water, and then Bozzy. Of course, right. I became the CEO of Bozzy. Um, and it was from there that I that I started growing innovative brands because, um, you know, that was another tough one. I I actually merged Bozzy with um, with another company, um, which I built that brand, which is today called Aquaball, um, and uh, it's a company called True Drinks. But they yeah. wanted my public they wanted my public shell. Um, I needed somebody to um, to to help us either move in the in the next direction or to, um, to continue online sales. And, and I needed to find a merger partner in order to, to protect the shareholders. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. And it was, it was through a lot of that that drove me to build my own business because, um, I wanted to, I wanted to do it more from an independent consulting perspective where I could, I could, I could lead and, and mentor brands in a way um, that wasn't, was not necessarily direct, uh, directly responsible for the brand. So, yeah, um, and I can hear that and I can really hear that in your voice because it's, it's so interesting. Um, you know, you found your passion and your passion happened to be like you were saying, you know, you'd done the big corporate stuff. You were the up-and-coming rising star. You got that, but what you really loved was helping these brands, um, not just kind of from, it, it was from the infancy, but you also really helped them um, kind of put all the pieces together. Because a lot of people, and you know this as well as anybody, Debbie, a lot of people don't realize until they're in it or in over their head that there's a lot of pieces to these startups. There's a lot of between the fundraising and the funding and the cash and cash cash flow and packaging, of course, and being able to get your supply chain straightened out. And if you don't have somebody like you um, and like you that's been there, because you truly got into that, you'd been there because the FRS situation was the complete polar opposite. Well, not really, but I mean, you were... You really mm-hmm. saw how the the other side operates, and it's difficult, and it's tough, and it's gritty, and they could never really take off. And you know, to have somebody like you as their mentor guide, I mean, has got to be just incredibly refreshing for a new brand. 
Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I, and I still find that today, um, that, that brands really appreciate, um, what I have to, to offer. And, you know, I speak a lot at certainly more the, the BevNet, uh, events and, and right. I'm speaking at supply side, um, this fall. Good. I'll see you there. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and we're talking about, we're talking about beverages. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a podcast right after this. Uh, as it relates to business planning and um, and and how you know what's the best way to really launch your product and I I talk, I'm so passionate about business plans and and I now call them strategic implementation plans because because if we if we you know if we will take what it takes to be, and, and on our website, I, I have the 10 principles to a successful company. Yep, yep. If we will follow those principles and, and make sure that we execute with excellence with, with regard to all of those principles, you know, we really can't miss a beat um, as it relates to covering, if you will, all aspects of our business then our success is much greater. And we may even, you know, we can have a great product and not be able to execute, and away we go. You know, there's, right. there's, um, there's a lot of products that have experienced that. We can have um, a not-so-fancy not so product, but, right. you know, be able to execute, um, you know. I mean, uh, that's, that's really... And to, to, Believe it or not, that is the story of, of vitamin water, you know. Because um, they, they were able to execute. They had all the pieces in place to really kind of fill the gaps, if you will, and take off. Is that a good statement, fair statement? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With a so-so product, you know, um, I mean, it, sure, it was vitamin water and it had... It had um, Colored gut. water in it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and lots of sugar back in the early days. Right, sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it actually really morphed it even into a, somewhat of a sports drink, which took it out of that, you know, enhanced water category and, and um, you know, merged with sports drinks, which is a whole other story, too, of sports drinks. What a crazy, crazy category. <laughs> well, and that and that continues to percolate as well. I mean, it just, you know, you've got all these different things. And it's just, it's it's fascinating to kind of hear you talk because I could really see, um, you know, as I researched, um, you know, your background and things preparing for this, you know, I've just, there's this this really cool way of things kind of connecting, the, connecting the dots, if you will. And, um, and I want to make sure that we spend a little time on growing innovative brands because, that's really your sweet spot. That's really where your passion is. Now, don't get me wrong. You've carried that over into meta brands, and that's that's still a big part of who you are. But I want to kind of stay with that for a little bit because that was your baby. That was your baby. And, mm-hmm. and tell us about your time with innovative, uh, growing innovative brands. And, you know, you would help a lot of these new and emerging brands maximize their potential. And, you know, tell us a little bit about that. And then, of course, we want to tie it together with how you kind of connected with meta brands. Yeah, so, you know, I started growing innovative brands right after, or uh, right before the merger, um, the Bozzy True Drinks merger, sure. right. and, um, and and I was the director, so I had to, I had to stay on through the merger, and I think that that was the first time in my life 
that I truly believed that I could let go of stability and um, go out on my own. Right. I mean, I was, I was coming from such a place of confidence. You know, I built my 10 principles. I still today want to write a book. Um, <laughs> um, you should. You should. I'll be right there with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I built my, my website and, you know, I built my speaking platforms. And, and then, you know, I began, of course, to consult with brands. And um, one, of my, one of my brands during that time, uh, well, a couple, uh, a brand called Hoist, um, which was really fun. It, it, it is a sports drink uh, out of yep. Cincinnati, Ohio. Yep. And, um, and I, I went in there and totally, you know, I told them, you've got to change your bottle. You've got to be a bigger size. You've got to look like a sports drink instead of, I can't remember what, what they looked like at the time that I called it. But, you know, we went through a whole engagement of really rebranding them and, um, and it was it, it was awesome. It was really awesome. We had a, a lot of fun um, working together, and um, and so yeah, you know, it was. And um, how how tough was that for you to really kind of go in there? Because again, you're when you're communicating, and you know this as well as I do. When you're communicating with a startup, um, like we were just talking about, you know, growing innovative brands as your baby. When you go in there to a hoist or some other company, and you're giving them, hey, you got to change your bottle. You got to change this. How tough is it? Because I'm sure you get a lot of pushback from from companies going like, "Well, wait a minute. I, this is my no. I'm not changing the bottle. The bottle's who we are. I'm not changing our. I mean, how how much how difficult is it for you to kind of say, "You got to trust me, folks. I know what I'm doing, and and this is how we're going to make it happen." Well, it's interesting because um, so so my first engagement with them was to go in and do an all day planning session, and they were founded by four. Uh, college buddies and one of the college buddies owned his own marketing um, marketing company and and he was the guy behind this whole thing you know um, right. and and one of the you know they had this squatty little bottle because it was the only bottle that they could find that they could they could produce their product and and to find somebody to to manufacture it and they were selling it for a dollar ninety nine and their big um their big push was that um, that the um, that they were they were a true isotonic because of the way that we absorbed the water was faster than other sports drinks and wow. um, huh. and of course we called all uh, you know we always called Gatorade and Powerade and every the whole category isotonics but you know their differentiation was that they were the only true isotonic on the on the market because of the absorption and the way it works sure. with the gun. And cool. so, um, so they said to me when I started telling them, I said, you got to get out of that bottle, you know, and I can be pretty, I can be pretty aggressive. Um, and, um, the one guy says, the one guy just kept on arguing with me and pushing back and pushing back. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that, that they said was the reason that we're in a smaller bottle is because you don't need as much as you need with the other, um, uh, the other, the Size, other players, other drinks, right? I, yeah. other drinks. I mean, yeah. And, 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 and I said, um, 
okay, I, I think that's a cop-out because I know the reason you're in this smaller bottle is because it was your only choice based on <laughs> where you found your manufacturer. That's um, right. And so you made it work. And, and so, um, you know, you just have those challenges. And it's oh, yeah. funny because, you know, we, we had the so, – so I went in there for that big planning session and, um, and then we went to work on, you know, finding the people that um, – we're going to design the, um, the bottle for us, um, which is a team, um, uh, out of Michigan actually. And, and they're really good guys. They, they did just phenomenal work. And so when we went in to present the, um, when, when we all met in their offices in Cincinnati and the, the designers came in and, and so here's the team of the four guys again, right? And there's that right. guy, the marketing College guy. buddies. College buddies. Yeah. And and the and the one that you know is going to push back on everything, you know, he's also the one that did the design work on the original label as well. So, you know, he he's like sitting on the edge of his seat, you know, twisting and turning, and um, and so we had a little bit of a challenge. I mean, he was always there to be argumentative, but right. the good news was. You know, there was a couple of the others that, you know, would would sometimes, you know, question me because he was questioning me, but then they would come over to my side and, um, and you know, well, you it's, were, it's You were tough. proven. I mean, yeah, you were proven yeah. and you knew what you were doing. And I think it's interesting because it, we see this a lot in our little world in packaging um, where, and I think that you, it was funny because once you pressed that guy, you found out that it really he was in that bottle because that's probably that's all he had as far as you know choices at that time and we see a lot of that in our world you know we we stress to a lot of our clients whether they're um, you know big players or whether they're new startups that packaging is the voice of your brand and so often people think of it at the very last second or that's all they can get stock from some uline catalog and then they wonder why they have uh, have a struggle or. Um, a, a gal like Debbie comes in and says, you got to get out of that crappy looking thing. Um, and they're offended by it. But, but on the other hand, if they really looked at it from a, you know, a, a pure, is this something that, you know, really, if it's the voice of my brand, is this what I want my product to look like? And mm-hmm. that's kind of where it's important for people to understand the power of packaging as this kind of relates. And that's a great kind of segue and tie-in to your experience with Hoist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about um, beverages. Uh, there right. was, for, my first promotion at 7-Eleven was actually the director over all of um, the center of the store snacks and, and anything that you could eat and that was packaged in the center of the store. So snacks, confectionery, yep. um, groceries. Um, and, it, you know, where, where today we're seeing a lot of innovation um, is in the snack food industry, whereas, you know, it's, it's become more tough to innovate within yep. Yep. beverages. Yep. And I'm still, you know, um, still, you know, every week you, you hear about somebody who wants to do a new beverage and you certainly read about all the beverages, but the, I think that, that snack foods in particular are, um, you're going to see a lot of innovation as we move through the next couple of years, and that includes packaging. Yeah. 
I, and I think that's that's really uh, thank you for saying that because I I agree with you and and so often um, there's such opportunities out there to innovate but it, it tends to and I don't know if you see this Debbie in your world but you know there are designs and materials and and um, packaging styles and things that that are mainstream in the UK or New Zealand Australia even Asia um, due to the fact that um, you know they have environmental very uh, strict environmental um, controls um, they want to get away from these big five gallon jar of protein powder they want to get rid of these um, this very heavy expensive um, bottles and jars and cans and want them to go into the flexible packaging I'm talking things like windshield washer fluid and motor oil and actual alcohol uh, and wine and things and and now we're talking like we were just saying about food products and snacks and and things and, and it's coming but I think there's so often I don't know if you see this in your part of the world but I, it, it's so often we just get lazy here, and we're, whereas people are like, no, that's the way it's always been done. We're going to put it in this, this kind of jar or tin or mm-hmm. whatever. And I just think if somebody really wants to be different, wants to be that next method soap, if you will, um, look at their packaging. Look at it, you know, and I don't want, this isn't a commercial for us, but it's, it's kind of like that's where packaging can kind of t- tie that together. I'd love to get your, your feedback on that. Well, you know, when I when I talk about product differentiation, I usually speak to the areas that you can differentiate. Right. And um, and product, I mean, packaging is clearly one of the areas that you can differentiate. And it's also, you know, we consider as it relates to food and beverage, we consider packaging under the category of innovation. Right. And. Um, and and I think that if you're able to figure out that next innovation as it relates to packaging, um, then you know you've truly got your differentiation. And figure out how to do it right. at the same time. Keep your 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 business model viable because yeah. I'm not going to necessarily pay extra for this packaging. Correct. Um, Absolutely. Right. So uh, yeah, it's um it, it is. It is one of the biggest ways to really differentiate, and and certainly um, exploring, you know, um, countries around the world who um, deal with different re- different um, issues that drive them to sure. to um, change their style of packaging. You know, we we just haven't evolved as as much as we talk like we've evolved. You know, <laughs> thank in, you in the U.S. I, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're right on with that. So let, I yeah, want to make sure that we spend hard. some time <laughs> with uh, with Meta Brands, if we if we will. Can you tell okay. us about Meta Brand? I really want to make sure we spend some time with that because that's that's your world now as Chief Strategy Officer. Tell us a little bit more about a what it is that you do, but what does Meta Brands do? Yeah. So um, and and actually, I just relaunched um our website, and I think that it's much clearer. Sure when, is. Um, yeah, based on the new one. But, you know, we, we, we launched that with it takes 16 years to grow a mango and we can bring your product to life in 16 weeks. Yep. I think that, um, you know, our real specialty, whether I'm, whether I'm a, a, a owner, a brand owner of a successful company that has uh, an array of assortments and I'm looking to build my innovation strategy, uh, rapidly, 
or I'm, you know, a startup beverage company or a startup food company. And, and by the way, we, we specialize in, in beverages. We specialize in food. Uh, we specialize in supplements. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly have the team to be able to, to build products from the ground up. And so uh, we have a formulation lab in, in New Jersey. Um, our operations team, who's led by our president, Craig Fortin, they, um, they're really the behind the scenes elements of, um, of, of, um, products. And so, uh, contrary to that, I run everything that I would say is, is consumer facing as it relates to the products. Um, and I certainly know enough about formulation and, and building concepts and operations to, to be stupid. But, um, <laughs> right. but you know, as, as you've heard from me, my real expertise is the consumer and, and building brands um, it, from a sales and distribution perspective. And, and that's across all retail channels and, and how to do that, um, including e-retailing, which yep. has become extremely important Massive. today in, in yep. our mix. And so we, um, you know, we do a lot of things um, depending on your needs from a brand perspective. We run um, a, a, um, a design group. So we do um, brand essence and strategy and, and really build the visual and verbal positioning of your brand for you. Um, so that that will lead into the creative uh, direction for your package design. We do package design all the way through to websites with all your sales materials. And we do that at, at rates that are very comfortable for an early stage brand because yeah. they're not necessarily like the, the brands that we work with that are, are, are more um, mid-tier companies that are looking for us to help them with their innovation strategy, they've already formulated a lot of their concepts internally and, and they've all also done, you know, they do their branding and, and um, uh, marketing in-house. But, you know, we've been able to find this niche where we can offer to um, our, our early stage or startup brands the opportunity to work with us on branding and design um, economically. And then um, do a lot of strategic business planning and, yep. and um, a lot of consulting. A lot of times, especially with the, the smaller, more early stage brands, I, I help them directly with um, just coaching them along the sure. way. Um, so, you know, how, you know how, how do they get into retail? Should they be hiring a broker? Um, how do we help them build their team? Um, how do we help them manage and train their brokers? Um, right. You know, you're, you know, once again, you're only as good as as how effectively you can execute. And I also say that about your sales team in particular. I, I just got back from an all day meeting, which, by the way, is not a food or a beverage. It's a, um, <laughs> it, believe it or not, it is a disposable glove. Um, company out of New Zealand that is building oh. their business in, um, in the U.S., and, um, and they are superior as it relates to, to um, uh, responsible sourcing of um, gloves and, and other um, 
you know, protective clothing yeah, right. for food wow. safety. That's cool. And food safety has been, you know, really important. But who yeah. are we selling to? And so I'm actually working with them as a client to help them build out their sales team and um, and to manage their direction as it relates to the steps that they need to take week after week after week to um, build their business from a sales and distribution perspective. Well, I could I could talk to you for hours because this is so much fun for me because you're you're right in our wheelhouse as far as just this this mix of of, of smaller companies starting up, mid market companies, actual bigger companies that just need to really kind of get with a company like a Meta Brands that could just just handle it, just take care of it, get us to the next level. And and I hear it in your voice and your passion is just incredible. And I'm, 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 we got to wrap up the show, and I really want to have you come back because I could spend another hour just on Meta Brands, and I, <laughs> well, and I nice. hope you'll come yeah. back and join us. I, I really, this has been a thrill for me, and I, and again, I, I promise, um, Supply Side West and Project Nosh, uh, you and I, Product Nosh, we're going to get together and have coffee because this has been an absolute thrill for me. Fair? Yeah, that sounds great, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, This has been great. Folks, our show airs every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Remember, packaging is the voice of your brand. What's your brand saying? If you're unsure or if it's not clear, it just may be time to refresh your packaging. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, see ya. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week.